Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Windsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so good. This one was so fun to record. We had Tim Metzler on, who's a good friend of yours. It's my first time meeting him and instantly loved him. This was such a fun episode. We talked about fantasy football, something you obviously know well, something I got to learn a lot on today, which just guys, you'll hear me nerd out about the research like nine times throughout the episode. I'm sorry. I just find it so exciting. No, I really appreciate it because how I knew I did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> this was so fun. This was absolutely a great one. Tim was fantastic. We're going to have his social handles in the show notes because he tells us about that in just a second. But I thought it was great. What'd you think? I thought we did a fantastic job and this one actually ran a little long. So, hey, let's get into it. Let's go. Tim Metzler, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I was having such a busy day of walking on sidewalks that I thought I might be too busy to join a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just aimlessly wandering the streets, trying to think of comedy bits. Oh, goodness. Isn't that just the hardest part of doing comedy is you like when you're wandering for comedy bits and you're like, I can only think of sad things now. <laughs> I don't know how to turn these sad thoughts into funny <laughs> sad thoughts. What am I going to do? One thing that I've been struggling with recently is I've been, you know, writing for other people. And how do you bill for jokes when it was like, all right, but a solid two hours of this were me staring into space, <laughs> trying to think of something funny. Do I get to count that or no? Because that was a lot of emotional effort wondering if I would ever be funny again. Wow, that's a fascinating question. I think I would, if I were charging you, I would say the final product is what I'm charging. So, <laughs> so what, on a joke by joke basis? Yeah, your time means nothing to me. You're just a cog in my wheel. <laughs> the blood of the innocents moves the machine of capitalism, that sort of thing. Right. Okay, so it's only the actual time you spend typing that counts, yeah. <laughs> not the existential dread leading up to it. Yeah, yeah. I was saying about that uh, Futurama joke where like he, they're trying to like perform an episode of a show and it's like 30 seconds and they're like, where's the rest of the episode? It's like, well, it took me an hour to write. I thought it would take an hour to read. <laughs> it's just a perfect joke and how I feel every time I write anything. It really, it really is. is. It's incredible when I think I've put together like a perfect set and everything like, oh my God, this is so tight. This is easily going to fill up like a full week of our audience's time. And it's like, all right, that one was two minutes. It just there's always that little guy in my head that I'm just imagining doing like the stretch motion every time I hit the joke where it's like, all right, I guess I just patter. You'll, you'll fill. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you, the, the weirdest thing about like those moments where you have the inspiration, like when I was walking today, I, I had this moment where I like looked at a tree and I was like, wow, how intricate the tree is and so important. Then I walked away. And I literally like shook my head. I'm like, God, I'm an idiot. What, what am I talking about? <laughs> the tree? What? I'm so sad. What is wrong with me? What the fuck even is that? What? That's not jokes. That's just the beauty of nature. A person created a hundred buildings within a two block radius of me. And I'm here impressed by a tree that did this by accident. Like, come on. <laughs> Tim, I've known you 
for a bit now. You're part of the crew that I met when I first moved to Chicago. We actually worked on a web series together for Second City, which was a lot of fun. The news with Maggie Smith. Look it up or don't. I'm not a cop. But yeah, <laughs> I, and, and you're actually still working over at Second City. You're on Torco right now, correct? That's correct. Yes, I joined Second City's touring company in August of this year. So we have shows that play pretty consistently at Second City. A lot of like the off times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, some like the Saturday, Sunday matinee sort of times. But then we tour all over the place. So we, uh, we most recent trip was Pittsburgh. We spent a week in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, wonderful city. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Pittsburgh. Wonderful. Loved Pittsburgh. I, I had that moment where I was like, if I didn't live in Chicago, I think I would want to live in Pittsburgh because it's excellent. I was on the fence about visiting Pittsburgh. That might have sold me. How cynical I am. I thought that was going into a bit. (laughs) (laughs) The tree is a magical thing. (laughs) But, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, as is every comedian. When they sort of are doing something, you know, you'll ask them, like, well, what are you doing? What's going on with you? What's new? Or what's happening? They'll say, oh, I'm doing this. Or I have a show. I'm hosting a show. I've got a sketch show. I'm podcast, something like that. And you just never see the years of, like, sweating and grinding. Like comedy for me, I, I think I, my first time doing comedy was 2011. So this year was my 10-year comedy anniversary. Oh, that's big. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So it's been a long time and finally to do this thing that I've, I wanted to do this touring company at Second City for a while. So I'm very happy to be able to do it. But of course, when, if we could have just done the news with Maggie Smith, I would have been a happy man. Go look it up. <laughs> I mean, that was a great time. I fucking loved it. That was my first like thing, like really like working on consistently when I moved here and it was a fucking blast because like I was like I have a real product these aren't just tweets anymore (laughs) like I have an audience that like sees jokes that I wrote and they like them and it was great (laughs) (laughs) and they're not just stealing my jokes for their own use on other social media platforms and that sort of thing yeah that's a big bummer speaking of which you're also very present on TikTok these days and you make a lot of stuff that I very much enjoy oh well thank you oh yes that's let me plug that uh, at Timmy the Mets TikTok. Yes, I make a, a number of very idiotic things. And then every once in a while, I have one banger. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. That little seven second bit was funny. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that's all comedy is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think when people talk about like 10 years in comedy, like for most jobs, it's like, oh, cool. That's a big accomplishment in that you've been working and doing this for 10 years. In comedy, the compliment is I haven't burned out in this time. I haven't been forced to go back to waitering. But I also haven't blown up in the way that I had fully planned. Like yeah. 10 years, like, oh, no. 10 years? Oh, God. <laughs> You're right. It's weird because comedy is one of those careers where it feels like it's constantly trying to push you out. Like, comedy doesn't want you in it. It would love for you to stop doing this career. But then, yeah, I mean, the touring company is very big. And obviously, Second City in general. When, how did you get with them in the first place? Because you were pretty new on the scene, right? I worked uh, Boxco. Oh, okay. So I worked the box office at Second City. And from there, I just was present enough that people were like, when do you want to, like, do stuff and I I immediately was like yes I would love to do stuff please <laughs> invite me to places and let me do things with you and I was there for two years and I 
loved it very much and then had to be like, oh, I'm getting married, so I should not just work box office at Second City. And so sadly moved on from there. But yet me and Tim are still doing bits right now. And actually our day jobs are in the same building. So this is great. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is the downside of comedy is it cannot be your money making job for as long as you actually do. I think once you step away from comedy, then comedy is like, no, fine, we're ready. You can make it or whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, fine, your time is now. It has to break you first. Yes. And it's like, oh, all right, now I'll let you do it. Comedy is just like a very toxic person that you have a crush on. Like, you're just like, I appreciate you more than anyone. They're like, yeah, but that doesn't interest me. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go into accounting. And they're like, wait, hold up. You don't like, okay, come on over. (laughs) But you had a great topic that's very close to my heart. You wanted to talk about fantasy football today. Yes. So this is the other thing I can plug. Also at Timmy underscore the underscore Mets, M-E-T-Z. This past season, I've been a professional fantasy football writer. This is job number three of five jobs. I have five jobs. It's insane. <laughs> but I, I write fantasy football articles weekly, sometimes even more frequently than that, especially at the start of the season for Fantasy Pros, which is a, a company in Las Vegas that I think it's the largest uh, single fantasy-only company out there. Like, the, all they do is fantasy sports. And so that's been very fun to do this year. And so of course, fantasy football is always on my mind. We're in the in the fantasy football playoffs right now. We're at the end of the regular season. Of course, we have to talk about fantasy football. We absolutely got it. How many leagues are you currently in? So I started the year in 10 leagues, but some of them were ones that sort of end a little differently. They're, they're a little different. Currently, I'm in eight leagues that have finished all the way through this season, and I've only been eliminated from one. So I've got seven that are going to finish in the top four. Well, you also write articles. Like, this is your professional job, is to know what's going on in fantasy football. So I would hope that you would not be terrible at it, especially if you're like, here's who you should pick up and like, you know, nothing. (laughs) But you know, it's one of those things like fantasy sports. It is so addicting. Like it's kind of like working at the box office at Second City. In some ways, it's sort of addicting to be around comedians. And you're like, I want to do this and I need to do this. I think that's one of the the things that uh, we'll talk about later is that fantasy football is just so addicting. So I love it. It is. It's incredibly so. I'm in two leagues right now. I do not have your stamina. I'm eliminated (laughs) from the playoffs in both. I had two seasons in a row with my college friend group where we all had a fantasy football league and like we had a giant championship pro wrestling belt that like if you won it was mailed to you from the winner and like you had this big wrestling belt that you got to like keep in your house and I won it one year and I was like honey I did it. Where can we display this? And she said in this cabinet. And I was just like deal but can I take it out and show people and she was like absolutely not <laughs> look everyone I have this made up trophy from a pretend game that I beat all my real friends at yeah exactly like I started like just throwing out things that I could like just be like can I just like take it out when friends from that and then she started just being mean with it where she was like no I don't like it at all now you've talked about this belt endlessly for years until you finally won it and now I hate it she despised it <laughs> Oh, man. The proudest moment of your life, too. Truly. <laughs> it is a huge accomplishment to win your fantasy football league. The things that have to go right for you, not just like one day, but over the course of <laughs> half a year. Weeks and yeah, weeks. Of yeah. effort and, and thought. And, and you like click on a guy's name that you're like, I have no idea. This is like the fourth string wide receiver 
for the Philadelphia Eagles. I have no idea if he's even alive or yeah. I'm just <laughs> reading a description of a player. And it's like, hey, this guy might do good this week. And okay, fine. And he explodes and you win. It's insane. It's pure insanity and bliss. And when it goes wrong, awful. Oh, when it's wrong, which all my leagues this year, I just have been completely garbage. So like, I'm in a very bad spot because I thought I had winners all across the board and all of them just immediately shit the bed Ugh. like week three and I've never recovered. Andrew, as somebody who I don't believe has ever played fantasy sports, what is your read on this conversation we're currently having? That is a solid guess, Wen. Uh, <laughs> that, no, I mean, I think what always got me, because like when I was a, a kid and my father's office would do a pool sometimes, which would be like, all right, whoever guesses the most teams that win this week wins the pot. So that was simple. It was one that uh, at that point I watched sports a little bit because I thought that was something you had to do in society. And then I reached adulthood and found out you do not. <laughs> so stopped quickly. Uh, but that was so anyway, that was something I had fun doing with my dad. We would pick the teams, but it required so little effort that it was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, what teams have been winning. You have some understanding, you watch some games together. Sure. But then they switched to fantasy football because that was around the time like it just took over. And we had that conversation. It was like, I'm not I'm not going to follow any of this. I don't even know who most of these people are. I have no chance of this. And then seeing, so I, I watched him watch this transition of like everybody is that's in it is before you had people that like, oh, oh, sure, it's 10 bucks. Maybe I'll win. But now if you were in fantasy football, you were all in because you had to study and you had to. It's, it's this podcast. Yeah. It's, it's this podcast <laughs> that required so much prep for potentially so little reward. <laughs> and thankfully with the podcast, it goes well most of the time. <laughs> but also there's that level of like we can have some control over this with fantasy football. The idea of like, I'm just going to guess, I'm going to spend eight to 10 hours researching. I'm going to invest in this emotionally. It sounds like the worst parts of gambling to me. It sounds so stressful and like so much effort. We'll get into that. So let's dive into the history here to see what we got. So because this is a pretend sport founded by jocks, we do not have an exact start to when fantasy sports began. Like, no one wrote down a date. What a shocker. When did great research on this. And this started much later than I expected. Like, on one hand, it made sense. It was like, yeah, this had to develop. Sports to develop. It had to be able to reach everyone. But on the other hand, I felt like the entire Circus Maximus was fantasy sports. It was like, hey, what if we had this dude fight a lion? And, <laughs> like, everyone, it's like, <laughs> how is, is we're going to recreate this battle? But this time, only one side has weapons. And it was like, what okay chariot race but this guy has spikes now it was like it was the most extreme version of fantasy sports possible with ridiculous gambling except that then at the end like one guy just decides who dies so the idea like they didn't figure out like oh we could make up our own without killing people for like two thousand years i felt like it was going to happen sooner andrew i love that i was so proud of the research that i did and then you started with just like well if i did it i would have started in roman times <laughs> no i'm saying you got the research right i'm just disappointed that it didn't start in Roman times. You can't make it up. You can't make it have started in Roman times. <laughs> but in my heart, I wish it did. <laughs> Fair enough. So the concept of fantasy sports began to emerge after World War II and involved just picking a group of players and running a contest based on their year-to-date stats. So the first example of this was a fantasy sport that was began by Oakland businessman and limited part-time owner of the Raiders, Wilfred Bill Winkenbach. And he decided to start a fantasy golf group. 
and fantasy golf worked. Each person got to choose a certain amount of golfers for a tournament. And just whichever team of those golfers had the lowest score, because that's how golf works, had the <laughs> lowest score at the end of the tournament wins. And that was their first bout with fantasy sports. Can I also point out here that if your name is Wilfred Winkenbach, I would have expected a more creative nickname than Bill. I feel like maybe <laughs> an opportunity was missed here. That's true. He had a fantastic name meant for being immortalized in dumb sport history. Right. Like considering all of the ridiculous baseball player names at the time, I feel like there was something there. But anyway, yes. So you've got golf here and they're following the rules of golf, which so far makes sense. I'm in. Yeah. Fewest strokes of the people you chose, whichever group has the fewest strokes wins. It's so simple, but also so simple and like was also golf that like nobody gave a shit. Yeah. This is before golf really took off and became the thing everyone was betting on. So in 1962, Winkenbach started the first fantasy football association called the Greater Oakland Professional Pigskin Prognosticators League, which like, go fuck yourself. Sure. I love that it's abbreviated to gopple. Yeah, gopple. <laughs> if anything has not changed about fantasy football leagues, though, it is that the names of the leagues are still pathetic. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the most embarrassing thing when you like have to say your name and like the league title to other people. <laughs> oh, for real. So this began with eight teams. Uh, George Blonda was the first player taken in the very first draft in 1963. A quarterback, by the way. And if like by modern standards, you'd never draft a quarterback first. It's a fucking rookie move. It's the rookiest move, actually. It literally is a rookie move. It's the first <laughs> move ever done. So hack. Wait, I'm curious. This, where did you find out the first person drafted in the first fantasy? football league how is this something that's on record look we know it was 1962 when the first fantasy league was started and apparently like this league continued for a very long time like these guys like kept it going for a while so like yeah maybe it like they eventually were just like who was the first guy we ever did let's just say it was george blonda like that'd be a fun thing to say okay i'm nerding out on the research part of this i'm obviously missing the general point of fantasy sports it's not the research side (laughs) the research is a big part oh good all right i'm on track to wen's point about it being an awful move strategically nowadays it probably was even more so then because quarterbacks did less than what they do now oh, I mean, yeah. quarterbacks are more significant now so back then to make that pick the rest of the league probably grilled that guy until he went home crying of like <laughs> dude are you serious like of course we know that was the first pick his friends never let him forget that <laughs> I just realized like the forward pass was around now right like they were just like like the quarterback wasn't just handing it off to the run back every single play, right? Because it it had to, it had to. I see the scoring now, it it has to exist. So the way this was scored is insane. So this is how Bill Wickenbach set the rules for this first fantasy sport dub. And by the way, Bill Wickenbach, because of fantasy golf, baseball, and football, is known as the father of fantasy sports. So that's a fun little thing for you to know. Good for him. Father Bill. But the scoring for the first fantasy football league was insane. So first off, they drafted two quarterbacks, four halfbacks, two fullbacks, four wide receivers or tight ends, plus two return men, two kickers, two kickers, okay, (laughs) two defensive backs or linebackers, and two defensive ends. You started one QB, one fullback, 
back, two halfbacks, and two tight ends or wide receivers. Okay, they were awarded 25 points for all offensive touchdowns, 25 for a field goal. That is insane <laughs> to count 25 <laughs> points for a field goal, the same amount as a touchdown. $10 for every extra point and 200 for special teams or defensive touchdowns. But like Tim, as a fantasy football guy, why would Bill be so obsessed with kickers? <laughs> you know, the evolution of the game has probably affected our perspective on kickers. I've gotten into legitimate physical altercations with people over what whether we continue to have kickers in the football league. Like there's some monster arguments out there where people are like, if you have a kicker position in your roster, I, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want you. I don't respect your opinion. It's nuts. I mean, and I actually, I, I can see that argument being made because I respect it. But I also understand that like a kicker is only one MVP once. And that was in 1982. Like it is not an essential position. <laughs> My theory on this as someone clearly in the know is, that in this time period, you had roughly six teams due to the fact that you could basically like chain smoke when you're not on the field. There was a good chance the player you chose would die. There were not <laughs> many rules at this time. I think the kicker scenario is like, look, we need a player who is most likely still going to be alive at the end of the season. And they're like, all right, well, the kicker's not doing shit. So that's why they put him in there. <laughs> oh my God. I got to actually give it to you. That's yeah. probably the best excuse you could possibly get for that. So I was looking up quotes on this first league and uh, one participant said that Winkenbach had a trophy made with a wooden football face and a dunce cap on top for the guy who came in last each year. The last place guy had to keep it on his mantle till the next season. And when you visited his house, he damn well better have that trophy up on the mantle or there was trouble. I'm just like. Wow, the history of fantasy football runs deep. That That is so beautifully petty and is just absolutely, it's one of those things where it's like sometimes, you know, like you see the origins like, oh, this definitely got co-opted by a different group. And this one is like, oh no, they maintained control throughout the entire history. <laughs> These are the same people. It's just become monetized now. You know, there are companies that their only purpose is to make last place trophies and <laughs> insult gag items that you can order. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It really is a wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. It's one of my favorite things. I mean, when maybe you can speak to this, but in leagues, you have a last place guy who usually has not, they don't even know that they're in the league anymore by the yes. end of the season. <laughs> but if you incorporate a last place punishment, it makes everybody fight yeah. through the bitter, even if there's no chance of, if they're like, I'm dead, I'm, I'm dead in the water. I'm still going to fight to win every possible thing I can because I can't finish last. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to have that trophy made, but also my favorite fantasy football punishment I've ever heard in my entire life was you have to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys heard this one? Oh, yeah. uh, yes, yes. And you can subtract an hour for every waffle you eat. I'm just like, one year we're like, after, like, once we're like fully on the other side, we're like, I would not feel terrible in a pandemic sitting in a Waffle House for 24 straight hours. <laughs> That's what I'm going to pull that move and it's going to be great. What I loved about those stories is every time it happens, it's about a guy who went in there super cocky and then ate three waffles and then had to spend the next 21 hours incredibly sick. <laughs> it was like you took off so little time. It was not worth it. <laughs> 
you could have just felt good and had a waffle whenever you were hungry and really enjoyed that. Get some reading done, man. Like, enjoy it. Bring a sandwich. <laughs> like, just get a cup of coffee and they'll let you stay. It's fine. Bring your laptop. Yeah. yeah you, you don't need to punish yourself. Don't overly commit to the waffle part because that is a false god. Yeah. That is a false god. You do not want to worship it. It will lead you astray. Only ruin lies down the path of trying to eat your way out of this situation. The ring of power. Also, I love that like everyone was so confident in the Waffle House reputation. They're like, yeah, they're going to let this happen. The Waffle House is going to have any trouble with this. <laughs> Apparently at the live threads that I've read where people are doing it, the employees love it. Yeah. They just, they find it <laughs> hilarious. But also if you're going to do that, you have to leave the biggest tip of your life when you check out. And you got to tip every time they have a changeover in staff, you have to tip every shift change. I think that should be a hard and fast rule. If you guys ever use this punishment, you have to tip every shift change. No exceptions. Good rule. So in those days, though, they didn't have the easy like way that we get information now. They had to get all the scores together. And what would happen was the commission would have to compile all the full results from each game in the newspaper box scores and then mail those results to the, everyone in the league after running the numbers. Oh, my God. That is so much effort. Like you have to really love fantasy football to do this because I would not do this today if I had to like wait and then write everything down and then mail it with an envelope and stamp. No, this would require enough time that you could spend that time actually getting good at real football. <laughs> like, if you spent the amount of time collecting that paper, you would have a chance at the NFL. Pretty fair. So, <laughs> Wingenbach uh, was the first commissioner of the first fantasy football league. And it was done because he was an independent businessman. He did not have to worry about just, like, fucking around at work. He had phones at work. He had the typewriters. He had all the things to get ready to send everything out. He had this material needed to do the job right. And it was a hit. And then in 1969, so this happened for about six seasons with this group of friends, Andy Mausolemus, an original member of Gopple <laughs> and a participant in the inaugural draft, brought this game over to his Oakland sports bar, the King's X, where the first public fantasy football league was founded. And from there, the game spread mostly by word of mouth. Like the patrons would all talk to each other about this game, about this crazy thing that happens at this bar. If people would come in for like trivia contests. They would plug the Fantasy Football League. And so all over the Oakland area, bars just started popping up their own leagues. And then it would start slowly spreading throughout the country because that's how the only thing that something like this could spread at the time. That's true. Like I was wondering what the alternative is. It's like, no, it's it's word of mouth is, is the only option. I guess you could put in a commercial and have like four people see it. But yeah, th this was it. Gosh, I just can't help but think that like, you know, we make fun of it, the amount of work that he put in with writing everything down and sending it. But like it took that much effort. I think it's because you have a person who put that much effort into it that other people saw like the love you can have for this like made up game. You know, it's, no, I mean, he had to really care and yeah. really love, especially to not just get involved himself, but to have everyone else be like, oh, this is he's making this good. Yeah, I just feel like there's so many like there's shows on Netflix now where I will pass like I passed over Squid Game multiple times where I was like, stop recommending. I don't know what this is. I don't want to watch this. I want to watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> like, let's go. And then finally, some other friends were like,
like, you gotta watch this. You know, it, it is that not just word of mouth, but you see other people like, you'll love it. Trust me, you'll love this. I thought this was going in a direction of like fantasy football, but with squid games. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, all right. You're like season two, season two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Season two is all about the people betting on it. <laughs> and it's like, you don't even get to know who the players are. But he invented this game. Like he had to have been the commissioner because not only did he invent it, but he also like, you gotta be a good commissioner because if this thing died in its infancy, if you did not actually like take the time, like if you did not check the box score on Monday, the whole thing would have just ended immediately. When have you ever been a commissioner in a, in a fantasy football league? Yes, I am. And it's hell. <laughs> I do not recommend it to anyone. The messages you get from people being like, hey, Brian's not setting his lineup. I'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> Brian can jump off a cliff. All right. <laughs> I got a, I got stuff going on. Don't talk to me. So in 1980, the indoor football league, the IFL, one of the oldest fantasy football leagues still in operation today, was founded by a group of students at Kate Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Its charter members were Tom Spear and Jeff Kornreich, and they came up with the idea of forming a league after reading a short article in a September issue of Inside Sports. Basically, because this has been spreading out throughout the Oakland area through the country, somebody was just like, hey, let's do a little fun little write-up on it. And these guys were like, okay, we're doing this ourselves. We fucking got it. So they are all still playing it today. They began this in 1980. All the original members are still actively involved and the league's trophy is still engraved by the same company that made it in 1980. So they still use the same trophy company every year to make new trophies and it's all the same guys playing because they read an article in 1980 in Inside Sports and was like, let's do it. I've never read a newspaper article and thought I should do that. <laughs> like I'll read a thing and be like, yes, I wish I was as ripped as Chris Hemsworth, but I'm not going to do his diet. Right. I like chips and he, he doesn't eat chips. So I know who I am. Thanks for the article. I'm not going to do that. So in 1983, the first East Coast Fantasy Football League was formed at Marist School in Atlanta by eight high school students. And I won't read their names, but there were eight of them. And these league members did not want to wait until the Monday box scores to figure out who the winner was. So their idea was they will call the local sports anchor on their local network to get <laughs> the scores from him because he was an alumni of their high school and seemed to have some affection for the school and therefore we'd go out of his way to do this. And that guy was Ernie Johnson, wow. which I find hilarious. Ernie Johnson, Andrew, is a very famous basketball commentator for Inside the NBA on TNT, probably the best sports show in existence. I like that you could have directed that explanation to the audience who also might not know, but instead saw the confusion on my face. It was like, I better make this clear so we can move on. Yeah, I realized that I did a big build up to Ernie Johnson and then I realized that like it fell on deaf ears completely. I was going through the notes here. So I was just at, oh, TNTs. I'm like, OK, yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with them. What an effective like smackdown way to start any sentence. If you start any sentence with be like, you know, Andrew, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> when you have two pieces of bread and you put some stuff in the middle, it's called a sandwich. <laughs> like, why? I know that. Stop. Don't come on. I'm a dick. I understand. And I also realized there was like a thousand episodes before this where Andrew could have been like, by the way, when the Greeks did this. Like, <laughs> no, I honestly, I was partially like waiting for it. It's like, when has to know, I don't know who this person is. And also I know our audience can't care about it much as I do, but I love when Wen goes deep in the notes like this. This is so exciting for me. The notes are always my favorite part. And when Wen does, I'm like, oh my God, this is so much cool stuff. Cause normally I don't get to share the excitement like on air. 
because I'm doing it in my room like throughout the week up until recording. And now I get to be excited with it. Like, obviously, we created this podcast so I can do research. It seems to be the <laughs> overall message here. You know, you would probably like we should send in this podcast for you to get a master's in something by the time we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just I mean, if, if they give it a master's in like looking shit up really good, then yeah, <laughs> I know it. <laughs> they do. You know that, right? Like, <laughs> that's all masters. That I mean, yeah, but normally that's like in one specific thing. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that there's a world where a podcast has been submitted as a as a PhD like final portfolio of like this is it. My hundred episodes of this podcast. Give me my PhD. Honestly, I think my dream job is being a researcher and panelist on QI. Like that's <laughs> that that's the goal here. A job position that does not exist for good reason. What a dream. So yes, Ernie Johnson from inside the NBA on TNT. From inside the NBA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So this league also remains in continuous operation with two of its original members still participating as of the 2020s. And then let's just kind of hit some quick points here. In 1985, Grandstand Sports Services launched the first nationally available fantasy football leagues online through Q-Link, which would later become America Online. In 1987, Fantasy Football Index, the first national magazine dedicated to fantasy football, was launched by Ian Allen and Bruce Taylor. And then in 1997, CBS launched an online fantasy football competition with sports networks and websites quickly following suit. Yahoo was the first site to launch a free competition, which gave it the advantage over the other industry competitors. The NFL launched its own official game on NFL.com in 2010. And like you would think that they would have hopped on it sooner because it's their product and brings so much more viewership to their game. But they did not think to do it till 2010, apparently. And then (laughs) online growth really fueled it from there. And as of 2017, 59.3 million people played fantasy sports in the United States and Canada per the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association. And around four out of five fantasy participants played fantasy football. That's amazing. And also really drives home how hard they had to work to do this before the internet, considering that once they had the internet, it blew up immediately. Like people were all in on this. It just required so much effort. You can only get like nine guys willing to put it in. Before it was just an urban legend that people were just like propagating amongst them. Like the, I yeah. heard this <laughs> game that they're playing in Oakland and like they would be like, oh, tell us about it like, and you'd break down the rules so it's like that's insane we yeah. must have one and now it's just like three clicks i did it you kind of at this point in time you you almost have to do it at like your workplace or something it's like a socially required thing in in some circles yeah i mean it's a part of the bonding experience that's you've got this thing that you can all do and all get upset about and yeah it seems like a great method to bring everyone together one of the things that your research really showcases very nicely is the passage of time and, and the passing on like my dad played fantasy sports for a while when he was growing up and he would do that thing where he'd look in the newspaper and you know tally up to for various different sports with his friends and then passed it on. And he was the one who said, we're going to do a league with various friends and some, I think it was our church or something like that. We, we had a group, whatever, growing up that was like, we all love sports. We're going to do a, a fantasy league. And my dad taught me all of it. And I think that that's kind of why, one of the reasons why like the hook has been passed into the mouth of the fish. It's the familial connection and the friendship connection and the bonding. And then where the hook really sets is now where it's jumped with, okay, now the internet, cell phones, just the societal requirement and then gambling where 
you it's in now there's no escape you know that was a wonderfully poetic description that was beautiful yeah. that was a poetic <laughs> description and also it segues us perfectly into where it went wrong tim your quick brief synopsis where do you think this beautiful thing gets ruined so kind of as i just said my dad introduced me to fantasy sports but I, i've been playing fantasy football specifically for I think about 16 17 years i can date back to my first league i was pretty young. And I remember that it was not really known amongst some of my classmates what fantasy football was. And I remember introducing some of them to it. And that was great. That was fantastic. But then around the early 2010s, legalized gambling, I believe, I think you you might hit on specifically what I don't remember specifically the year, but I think it was 2012. I do. We'll we'll hit that in the research, but give us your personal experiences. Well, that's kind of when all of a sudden gambling was involved. And I remember some friends kind of getting hooked into some of the competitions that were available on some of the fantasy football, like join this mass league that you can win a million dollars. And and all of a sudden there was more of a driving obsession. And instead of being a fun competition where, oh, the loser gets, you know, a ha ha dunce hat trophy and the winner gets a, a championship belt. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to figure out who's going to play tonight. Somebody's got turf toe. I got to figure out who's the backup for the running back. Like the craziness comes from this drive of like, I can win. I can win money. This isn't just a game. And then FanDuel and DraftKings. I don't know if you guys understand what those are, but effectively they're gambling sites for all sorts of different fantasy sports. They have made it so that you can gamble on almost every single second of every single game and even things that are happening not in the game. Who's going to get injured this week? Who's getting traded in the offseason? Things that are outside of the control of just the game of fantasy football. And so I think that that happened pretty, I think in the last five years is when I've noticed I'll get commercials on my YouTube videos that I'm watching for FanDuel and stuff. I'm like, no, let's get out of here. Like, I don't need this. And I think everybody is just inundated with the idea that gambling and sports are now inseparable. There is no gambling without sports sports. There is no sports without gambling. And I think that's where it went wrong because it's not fun. It's crazy. So for me, with writing articles, doing research and stuff all the time, like I know a a number of analysts and people who sort of predict how players will do the money that has gone into fantasy sports to create businesses. That's all it's about is predicting who's going to go off today. Daily fantasy sports, single play fantasy sports. Like it's huge. People get death threats. Uh, People are people commit violence against their spouses as a result of this. It's not at a point that I think is healthy for fantasy sports anymore, and particularly fantasy football, because it's, you know, once a week, really, you have the outcome of your game. It sort of builds up, whereas fantasy baseball, you kind of play all the time. But like fantasy football, the typical person just has every week, there's one day where they're either happy or sad. And I think gambling and the nature of football and how the season works has sort of conditioned us to have wild mood swings that ultimately ultimately lead to violence and things that are not good. So I think the last five years are where fantasy football has really gone wrong. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because it did go from you have to put this dunce cap on your mantle <laughs> to, oh my God, I ruined mine and my family's 
fucking lives. Yes. And like, that's the leap it did. Oh no, I'm not embarrassed and being teased by my buddies. I have depleted all of our savings and my child is not going to college anymore because one football player did not keep both feet in bounds on a touchdown. Right. Yeah. And I would imagine that at this point, because so much of it is no longer, it's not like you can enjoy watching the game when your concern is beating the spread or injuries. You're not even worried about who's winning. It's just about the numbers. So at that point, I can't imagine the game is fun anymore. It's just about the gambling, which is only there if you win. It's wild because fantasy sports originally, like they make all games fun. Like that's why I appreciate them is because every game now I can watch and I have some, some inkling of like how I want this game to go because I have this player on my lineup and he plays for that team. It's not just like I live in Chicago, so I'm just going to watch the one Bears game. It's like, oh no, I have a player on almost every team. So therefore I can watch almost every game and have an emotional investment in it that is fun and improves the enjoyment of watching it. But it's different when it's just like, oh no, I need (laughs) this to happen for financial reasons. Right. (laughs) Which I know is the concern of gambling overall and how it can be just a fun thing for some people and obviously an addiction for others. But the level of, God, imagine having to spend 10 hours studying to lose money. Like that feels like it's such an extra way to kick you when you're down. It's like before, like, okay, if I put it on a roulette table and I lose it, I put it on a table. That didn't require much more effort than setting my drink down. But the idea of I studied this, I know who's going to get hurt this week because I talked to my guy who happens to know a chiropractor who who looked at the way he was running weird. Yeah. Oh, my God. You, you really hit the nail on the head there. There, I listen to some podcasts that are strictly players health. It, li- it literally is that doctors will look at an injury from a player, look at the reports that they're seeing and be like, yeah, I don't think he's going to play this week. Bench him. Put another guy like that is a level of obsession that even I'm not happy with. Like, I'll do that on occasion. But I don't feel good about listening to those. But the other problem, I think, where it has gone wrong is a lot of the apps and the platforms on which fans, they've got a social media quality to them now. And I think phones and social media also having risen in the last, you know, since the Internet, but also the last five years or so, you can kind of point to being like, yeah, we've really seen a lot. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook falls away. But like how many years in a row do we get a new app? And we're like, well, now you got to get on this one. Now you got to get on this one. Now you got to get on. Like it's an, it's too much. But the ability to communicate with other people in the same boat as you of like, I need this guy to do this. And when they don't, you're all together in this little social world of screaming into the void. And it sort of exacerbates your own feelings about like, God, that guy really, that guy, that guy sucks. He broke his leg. I hate him because his life is over right. now. But his year playing this game, his whole life playing this game and broke his leg. Did, he did that to me. I know he broke <laughs> his leg because he knew I, I needed him and he did it on purpose. That's go a little too far for me where I'm like, man, I don't think this is fun for anybody anymore. It's wild because so in 1992, uh, the Supreme Court ruled in the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. It was a federal law that outlawed legalization of sports betting in most U.S. states. I believe there was four states that were grandfathered in, such as Nevada. They already had the infrastructure and like they already had their own laws on the books. But federally, the federal government said, no, you cannot bet on sports. This was in 1992. Basically, the big carve out for fantasy 
fantasy football, the reason you could have these kinds of leagues is because they promoted themselves as not truly gambling, that there was a layer of research and skill involved. And therefore, it was no longer a game of chance because you could intellectually get yourself in a position where you would win to a relatively safe degree is what they argued. And that is why fantasy football was able to have money trade hands in these ways. That was interestingly the same reason pinball machines were not outlawed. (laughs) They tried to get rid of them saying that this was gambling and they were really making a push towards it and getting closer, closer to becoming successful. And then in the seventies, one of the guys who was like one of the champions just came in with a pinball machine and showed the committee how good he was. And they said, oh, okay, so it's skill (laughs) then, which means it's not gambling. So pinball machines are okay. You can keep them in arcades. And it was just this one guy that did it. But that's always been the standard that they've used here of like, if this is skill based to enough of a degree, then yeah, not gambling, it's allowed. Yeah. And that's what let fantasy sports for the most part fly under the radar. Some states actually had their own carve out laws that strictly said fantasy sports were against the law. But other than that, they were skirting these federal laws by being like, no, there's skill. You have to know the game to a very specific degree in order to win, and therefore it is not gambling. Before that law was passed, uh, there were two early versions of daily fantasy sports. They were Dugout Derby and Pigskin Playoff, a pair of newspaper-based games that launched in 1990. And basically, players would choose their teams by calling a toll-free number and entering in four-digit codes for each of their selections. The competition served as early versions of daily fantasy sports, and at the end of each week would reward the highest-scoring participants with a vacation package. So just imagine like having to go to a phone and like just being like, okay, who is Tom Brady? Okay, three, three, two, one. Okay, who is this person? Okay, and like having to do that, like you have to be a fan in order to do this. So I understand why it would be like, oh no, this is skill. Like, because the level of dedication you're showing by merely playing the game is wild. And then we're going to fast forward here because in July 21st, 2009, an Indenburg, Scotland based production market game, HubDub launched a spinoff. And that spinoff is something that we've already talked about, FanDuel. It was an attempt to do a modern alternative to fantasy sports and services provided by other media outlets. So Yahoo Sports was doing, CBSSports.com was doing, and made a daily fantasy format and integration with popular social networks. So they were trying to get social media in there. They were trying to kind of one-up Yahoo and CBS Sports. They formed FanDuel. The founder was inspired to create the site when he realized that there was a carve-out for fantasy sports in the U.S. unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act of 2006 that did not state that a legal paid fantasy sports competition had to last for an entire season. So basically, like, because the carve out for, okay, well, if you're doing this for a fantasy football league, obviously, because it requires skill, you're allowed to do that. And this guy was like, oh, but you didn't say it had to be at the end of the season that the rewards were paid out. You could do this by week. Wow. (laughs) And like, so this is a Scotland guy looking at the U.S. law and being like, I found a way to do this. And it worked. FanDuel <laughs> was huge. They poured so much money into advertising and this thing blew up. It blew up and people just ran to it. I mean, if you watch the league, a whole show about fantasy football leagues, you know that they had an entire season where like they had to mention DraftKings like three times. Like every episode, they had to mention DraftKings. Like that's how much money these daily fantasy sports apps started pouring in in advertisement to get people hooked. I saw the commercials constantly. And as someone who was not looking for this, I still remember them so clearly. They were so abundant. And enough so that like not knowing anything, 
was like, oh, this could be an easy way to make money. Like they, they worked. They made it look so good and easy. It's like you just show up and point to a football team and they give you money. That's fantastic. I can do that. Yeah, that's the hook right there. Seems easy. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, before the betting stage you're going into, I was like, there's probably more to that. They probably don't want to just give me money for no reason. <laughs> there's probably a level here involved that I'm missing. Oh, uh, yeah. So in 2015, following reports that a DraftKings employee had used inside information to win $350,000 on FanDuel, the New York <laughs> Attorney General at the time announced that he had opened an investigation into FanDuel and DraftKings. And there were allegations that the employees from these two different services were working together to trade all their inside information and send them to each other in order to make sure that they could win every single week. Wow. So both sides have since barred their employees from participating in any form of daily fantasy activities. Of daily? Is that mean that there are other fantasy activities, like not just like sex stuff, but other <laughs> sports related fantasy activities that they are allowed to participate in? <laughs> uh, yeah, they can do any kind of fantasy activities they want, baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just not the daily ones. But it does obviously reinforce that there is a skill level to this, that if you have enough information, they continually want it. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. That's sort of like an exhibit A of like, hey, these guys know what's going on. They have, they have, I mean, they're in an industry where they're collecting information directly from people. They have analysts with connections to scouts and uh, coaches and managers. And they're like, hey, so-and-so is going to go off. They are pissed off today. Get them. going, you know, like, man, I tell you, that kind of ruins it for me. You know, it's just knowing that like, it's rigged. It is rigged. Oh, Most definitely. And in the wake of this scandal, multiple class action lawsuits were filed against both DraftKings and FanDuel with suits alleging charges such as fraud, racketeering, negligence, false advertising, and arguing that the employees' use of inside information had made the games unfair. So basically, if you had lost any money, you could just kind of be like, well, they cheated, so therefore give me my money back. (laughs) Which like started up a huge glut of those kinds of cases. And one of the lawsuits was even filed by arrest in New Orleans, despite the fact that this was illegal for him to be playing in that state. But like he still decided that he was going to file that lawsuit. (laughs) But this all kind of exploded in May of 2018 because that Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992, which outlawed the state legalization of sports betting in most U.S. states, that was found unconstitutional by the Supreme Court in Murphy versus National Collegiate Athletic Association, which meant that the following month, Delaware became became the first state to create new legislation to allow sports betting, followed immediately by New Jersey, and it became a big kind of like tidal wave of sports betting just becoming the norm. So FanDuel, DraftKings, all those sites now were able to set up a bunch of other bets that were no longer intelligence-based. You could bet on anything, and it doesn't have to be a game of skill anymore. As long as you're in a state that legalized it, you could bet legally on their app on anything you want involving the game because it is was now legal in those states. Incredible. Think about grandma going to the casino to play the nickel and dime slots. You know, she had to go there. She had to go to, first she had to go to the bank, trade in some of her $2 bills and <laughs> get some little nickel rolls there, go to the casino and spend 10 bucks. We'll lose it all. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, grandma, what grandmas do. They're there for the buffet. Now, you can be sitting on your couch, connect your credit card to the app, put a few thousand dollars in there and just send 
send it right off and it's gone. I think that's what would be so infuriating to me is the lack of time it takes to lose everything. <laughs> it's like it is so easy and just takes minutes, which is terrifying prospect. It shakes me to my core to think that like this thing sort of began innocently and it really is egregiously unfair now because there's no way people are making their money back. I would wager having done so much of it myself, I would wager more people lose money than people win big. Like these companies make a ton of money off of this stuff. Oh yeah. I mean enough to run millions of dollars of ads constantly. Like the only way that works is if everyone is losing to them. <laughs> yes. Speaking of, in a survey of 1400 daily fantasy sports players, Eiler's research found that 70% of fantasy sports players actually lose money uh, and just 10 to 20% of entrants win anything at all in the most popular tournaments. So like your chances of winning are actually not great when you use these apps overall. For our audience who is not looking at the notes, when found multiple sources here <laughs> and cited them. I'm just loving the depth of this research for, for percentage of wins and losses. This is fantastic. All right, sorry, continue. <laughs> I worked hard. I read a lot of articles. Yeah. <laughs> On all fantasy sports media products, by the way, Americans spend an estimated $800 million each year, according to Forbes. That's incredible. <laughs> and then Fortune magazine reported last year that fantasy football might actually cost businesses $13.4 billion every single season. An estimated 18.3 million people play fantasy football for two hours a week while on the clock at work, resulting in 895 million paid week hours where people aren't working. So that's 13.4 billion over the regular 15 week season. I know we're talking about where it went wrong, but that part I actually think is great. Keep doing that part. Keep it up if you're able to do that on the clock. I like that. That's fantastic. Good for that. Fuck it. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's basically subsidizing it. 800 million a year, you're making that back from your businesses per week. That's, you know, good job, workers who don't care that much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a great point. I can get on board with that. I, I support this message. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that if this could be the main argument for the four day work week, it's like, look, we can put this all in one day and save you money if you just give us the time off. Look, Fantasy Football Fridays are an institution in yeah. this country, <laughs> and our laborers have worked hard to earn us fantasy football Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> Amber waves of grain and LCD screen <laughs> filling my eyes with statistics that I never needed to know. <laughs> That's America. Beautiful. So that wraps us up for the where it went wrong of it all, which brings us to our next segment in their defense, where we have to defend this thing that we have been trashing for the better part of our show here. Now, Tim, guess get first crack at it if you want to give it a shot. Here's the deal. I believe that the elements that made fantasy football and various other fantasy sports special for me growing up still exist today. But it's going to take a measure of self-control from people saying that they are committed to having fun on the platform without losing their mind over it. I think that people can do that. I think the majority of people, too, have the ability to just do this for fun. You know, I don't think gambling is needed for fantasy football to be fun. That's my personal opinion. I have multiple leagues that it's just prestige. I have one league where we have a small buy-in. It gives the winner of the league a little bit of money, not enough for like free lunch one day. Yeah. It's a pittance. And then the other cost of it goes 
towards like the league trophy that will pass around. That sort of stuff. If you can put money towards making it memorable, not making it monetized. I think that in defense of fantasy football, the game is still fun. With all of the things out there nowadays too, with the social media aspect, with the research, all the companies, your chances of putting time in and getting something out of it are, are much better. But if you're listening to the podcast where you're learning about player injuries, that's the line in the sand. Yeah. You went too far. <laughs> I think that's a great line. Yeah. When, what do you think? So I love sports. I love them dearly. I am also somebody who has terrible luck. I, I've never picked, like other than going to college at Alabama, I haven't picked a winner for the rest of my life. Alabama and my wife were the two winners that I've called <laughs> and everything else has been dog shit since. I have terrible foresight. However, I will say I have been to Las Vegas and I have placed money in a sports book where I was able to be like, all of these games mean a lot to me right now. I become Adam Sandler in uncut gyms when you give me a sports book with like a thousand TVs and a bunch of places where I can set my money down. And it just makes everything that much more fun with the knowledge that it could in fact ruin me. (laughs) And I know this about myself. I could gamble myself into some predicaments if I allowed myself to, which is why I do not allow myself to more than once or twice a year. That being said, when it's fun and like you have some money down, you get to care about every single football game, every single basketball game when you're playing fantasy sports or you're playing in a sports book or something like that, it makes it a really good time as long as you know your own personal limits and never lose more than the amount that brings you joy to sports and make the game more interesting. I think that's the line. If you can put money out there and like that's your like money that you are fine with never coming back to you, fine. If you think that this is how you're going to like make your living, do not play this game. I agree. I think that you got to avoid the daily fantasy sports. A little gambling is okay. Every day, it's too much. Yeah, I think the frequency is, is obviously the biggest. It just, it just made, it got so easy. But no, I think that's a great point. For me personally, what I've been considering is fatherhood. And, you know, being involved in sports with your kid is, is often a big thing. It was with me and my dad. I'm not good at sports. I'm 35. I'm not going to be better at sports. I know it's a big part of bonding with your kid. What I can get better at is living vicariously through the success of others. And that is also a big part of parenthood. I think being so heavily committed to the injury of one player is basically like just training you for when you're a father and forcing your kid into a career he has absolutely zero interest in. It's <laughs> training is what it is. You just can't go so far in that you lose all of his college money or be successful enough at training him in the sport that he doesn't need the college money. That's obviously the goal, but I realize that's harder to achieve. Also, look, I mean, growing up playing cards, like the rule in my family was once you're old enough to count, you're old enough to play cards. That was it. So this was a constant thing. This would, We'd be doing this every weekend. It wasn't often for money, but that was because we were taught young about the horrible luck my family has with gambling. The story that was told to us to scare us from casinos was my grandfather who would go to the horse track regularly and and would gamble. And the one time his horse was in the lead, it died. What? (laughs) Yeah, mid-race. It it was winning. It was winning and it died. Oh my. (laughs) So that was the trade we had. It was like, look, you're going to play. There are so many ways we can play here and have fun. But if you put money on it, there's a good chance you're going to kill a horse. And that's just not worth it. So that's my in their defense. Wow. That 
That's incredible. And I think we're not going to top horse dying in the <laughs> middle of the race. Yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of the show. That sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This was absolutely great. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, Tim, where can everyone find you on social media and your, your work again? Yeah, uh, look me up uh, at Timmy, T-I-M-M-Y underscore the underscore Mets, M-E-T-Z. You'll find me on TikTok, on Twitter, Instagram. I would love if you followed me and told me what you think about my pathetic jokes and, and little sketches and stuff. And of course, if you're interested in fantasy football advice, find me on Fantasy Pro and feel free to reach out. Ask me my opinion on stuff. I'll let you know my opinion for free. I'm not going to be that guy. I, I like talking fantasy football, so anytime. That's fantastic. We'll also put the links down in the show notes so they can find you. Tim, thank you so much for being here. Guys, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. And we also have a Patreon down in the show notes that helps us keep this show running. If you can subscribe, we're going to be back next week. We hope you'll join us then. Well, I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.